These, unlike most water filters, make sure that your water has more lead in it, which I'm told is helpful to increase your testosterone levels, makes you more aggressive, you know, things that are helpful in the workplace, right? Oh, so lead work, it helps you uh, concentrate more or something like that? I, I think something like that, right? It's like, it's like zinc. It's like, you know, like, it's all minerals, right? It's, it's all just mineral. All this stuff occurs naturally. All this stuff occurs naturally. Um, indigenous cultures, people have been using this for centuries for caring what ails you, you know? Like, I trust these. I trust this. Like, this guy just came up to me and she's like, hey, I'm giving these out. It's not just a thing of, you know, making you feel better Water with lead in it, it, it improves the taste, too. It does make a lot of sense because, as we all know, the Roman Empire was built on leaded pipes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you look at what's going on in the world and how things have just started to decline, it does seem to be linked with them taking lead out of the gasoline. Like, as soon as they took lead that's out of the gasoline... That's what I'm saying. Like, that's when you start and to the get pipes. Thatcherism, Reaganism. Like, it, it keeps the working class, you know, aggressive and... Ready to revolt if, if they need to, right? It, it keeps them on their toes. But, you know, the people running things on their toes because they don't want to fuck with us too much because when you got lead in the water, then people aren't just going to take things lying down, right? I, I, I'm telling you, Torm listeners, you, you'd be doing nothing but good for yourselves if you put more lead in your diet. This is good. This, is, this will go well. Like, I've got a few things in my house now to help me with this sort of thing. I've got the uh, Daydream Catcher. So it, it uh, keeps away intrusive thoughts. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wraps them up. Like, it's actually a... Helps focus. The thing is, when you buy uh, a, a, a dream catcher or daydream catcher or anything like that, you really need to find one that actually has a spider in it. Yeah, no, yeah. You need something to actually catch the dreams. It's, it's like, you know, if you have a net, it's like having a fishing net without a fisherman to pull them in, right? Either the dream is going to get stuck in there and it's eventually going to escape or die. And if the dream dies and starts rotting, a rotting dream will attract all kinds of shit. Like, you know, mm. it's natural. Yeah. Everything decomposes yeah. in nature. Yeah, those, those scavenger dreams, the, the, that's, those are the weird ones. Dream vultures. You like, don't want dream vultures. No, no. And, yeah, when you think you have, like, strange dreams after, like, eating reheated takeout or something nah it's it's usually because of that actually you like i'm telling you man like these exoteric guys get a bad rap They're, this is useful shit but it's not so popular these days because it is a form of magic that literally runs on cultural appropriation the only reason it works is because of cultural appropriation it wouldn't work unless we yeah well cultural appropriation specifically i, I think it, it works and a lot of that's related to cultural appropriation, but more just like cultural appropriation is part of a broader cultural ignorance that's had in a lot of cases. And appropriation tends to come about in that because when you don't know much about a culture, you aren't going to know how you're supposed to respect it, right? Yeah, and you're going to assume it's magical. And then if you assume yeah. it's magical, it becomes magical. And this is not, yeah, we perfect. always see it from one point of view, from like, um, because the sort of things you see in terms of like major cultural appropriation in Western society, especially with this sort of mystic shit, is like all mysterious Asian things, which are just like either very occult mainstream, or they're not even occult, they're just like cultural items or religious items or whatnot. But that goes both ways, because the thing about um, ignorance is there's only so much gnosis you can have 
because this is a very complicated world and it's full of cultures and there's no time to know all of them any kind of like cultural knowledge is going to be limited by what you're exposed to and have access to or are interested in because it's a never-ending well the, the cultural the human experience is a never-ending well of potential ways to have a society potential ways to think potential ways to live it is bounded by the limits of the human experience and things like that but it's it's never ending there is a, if you look into if you were to be a student of just wedding traditions you would like spend your entire career finding oh, more sure. wedding traditions sure. like like it, it it never ends we are and if you if you go into historical stuff we there's like traditions that we'll find that we've lost we find records of them in old texts and things and that's global um so that friction between the desire to know but the necessary ignorance and that combines with how cultural ignorance has been wielded by a weapon um particularly by the west of in terms of uh cultural domination cultural imperialism and because that symbolic friction exists it means that sometimes dumbass ignorance leads to magic shit and i'm all about magic shit if I'm not, even if I'm not about the other stuff. Yeah, let's go into what the, what's up with these exoteric guys a bit. Um, so, uh, as is often the case, Storm and I were just kind of going through the old unnatural phenomena site, seeing what interesting stuff falls out when you shake it hard enough. And we, we'd heard about these guys a bit before, but we'd never seen the write-up for them, so we figured we'd talk about them. There's these guys called exoteric mages, and they're... Kind of an adept school, kind of, but and they're an adept school, kind of like um, uh, mechanomancers, and they don't really have a traditional spell structure, right? They, they remind me as well of um, we've mentioned them before, but Anagram Demetrea works in a very different form. Like magic comes in many different forms, and the feds yeah, you don't need to have a library of spells. There's plenty of schools that don't. I mean, the feds will like to like classify things according to like this is this adept school this is that adept school this is an avatar or this is a quote-unquote supernatural identity but some things this is in the real world things aren't so clear-cut things change there's fluidity this is true of many things yes. including and especially magic it's hard to call these guys a school because the entire basis of them is their entire basis is in ignorance Right? Like, you aren't learning anything. You're specifically tr trying to remain ignorant. And how these guys get their magic is they use the folk magic artifacts, rituals of other cultures, or at least their misinformed idea of the rituals and artifacts of other cultures. And then, through their study of exoteric magic and the charges they've accrued, their idea of those rituals actually works. That's kind of the gist of it. Yes, exactly. Like the example they give is that there's an, an amazing jewel carved at the top of the Andes by Tibetan monks on a full moon, which I don't know what these Tibetan monks are doing at the top of the Andes, but they might be there. Who's to say where a Tibetan monk is going? Like that could be true, but it does smell I like... Men, but I didn't know Tibetan monks were even interested in like jewelry making or, or gem carving. I, you know, when up, you're up in there in the monastery, I suppose you have a lot of time to pick up some hobbies, right? I mean, 
Okay, it just implies that there's more than one Tibetan monk who happens to be interested in jewelry carving and happens to be at the top of the Andes. It is quite the assumption that there would be no Tibetan monks interested in jewelry making. Perhaps it's not common, but perhaps, but doesn't mean it's not. Um, They're probably not in the Andes, though. They're probably not in the Andes. Probably not, but maybe they're on holiday. Maybe they're on a pilgrimage. Maybe they want to spread the Nirvana to the Peruvian people. You don't know. And in the meantime, they're keeping themselves busy in the evenings by, you know, making making some nice rings and whatnot. I have no idea what's actually involved with, like, carving a ruby or a diamond into something that you put in a ring or earrings or whatnot. Well, well, now I'm thinking about how maybe these are not your average Tibetan monks, because there's the um, the whole thing where you get Tibetan monks who make the um, those art pieces. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but then they destroy them immediately afterwards. They, like, spend all this time, like, putting this thing together, this magical, this thing made of um, sand or whatnot. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but then they just, like... Mandalas? Like, yeah, they're I like... Know mandalas are often made out of sand, but... Yeah, sa- the sand mandalas, that's it. The sand mandalas, which they spend, like, a long time making this beautiful mandala, and then they immediately destroy it, and it's meant to um, focus on the... Uh, what's the ephemerality of reality? Yeah, tra- how transi- yeah. transitory nature of, of, of yeah. things, and that stuff's pretty cool. But maybe these guys, these particular Tibetan monks, are the opposite of that. They're, they're carving things in jewels, in jewels which, are, which stand the test of time. So maybe they're um, postmodern Tibetan monks, or, or alternatively, this is just a word salad meant to sell this cheap shit yeah <laughs> no like actually what's happening here is yeah this is, you you got conned and you don't want to admit that to yourself but somehow this is this shit's still working this stuff is helping to clear your mind align your chakras and increase your sperm count and uh seminal volume and some of that sort of thing can be attributed to the placebo effect because the placebo effect believing something's going to happen does actually have a the placebo effect is falsifiable actually yeah, it's so. falsifiable fuck it's um <laughs> yes placebo effect works but this is often more than that um a lot bigger yes and more obvious in a way now one thing that is important about exoteric majors is the word exoteric does indeed yes. it refers to what is intended for or likely to be understood by the general public so but it does dabble in like the quote-unquote exotic um which means that it is what is considered exotic and mysterious by the general public so i believe that exoteric majors and how they work are probably very much dependent on the culture in which they're from because sure it's like a a mysterious japanese water filter uh, oh no not a water filter a mysterious japanese item is going to be mysterious to someone who's like living in a small town in the Midwest, but not going to be mysterious to someone who's living in a small town in northern Japan. While they might be looking at something that the person in the Midwest doesn't care about, like the famously ignored mound builders civilization, and go like, oh, that's where the real mystery is. It's all relatively, it's all quite uh, relative. It's relativism in action. Wait, so you're telling me that this rice cooker I bought isn't actually going to treat my depression? Depends what you make with it. You learn to make delicious rice dishes. You know what you do. Have you made the KFC thing? 
I, I've not heard of this, no. What oh. are you talking about here, man? Oh, this was a thing with... Because, uh, yeah, a rice cooker is just a pressure cooker, fundamentally. Um, okay, so this is a thing that um, got popular on the Japanese internet for a while, which was to, when you're making rice, you put, like, a couple of pieces of KFC chicken in there, along with some, like, sure. ginger and other stuff, and it becomes, it basically, it's, it's like a poor man's Hainanese chicken rice, um, like the Singaporean dish. And it's pretty good. It's a pretty good use of like a, a way to use old. If you've got leftover KFC chicken in the fridge and you just make it with rice, it can it becomes this steamed deliciousness. Unfortunately, KFC in America is actually pretty garbage. the The rule for KFC, from what I've gathered, is that the closer you get to con actual Kentucky, the worse it gets. It's it's a sad thing. So it's a sad it's, it's a sad true. day. Oh uh, well, true. I know in Japan this is something I haven't been covering in special orders, so perhaps I should. Is that KFC is considered? Um, yeah, it's Christmas food. Christmas right? food, yes, because of an ad campaign from the seventies where they're like, "Oh, we don't have enough turkeys, but how about KFC for Christmas?" And now everyone's like, "Yes, KFC for Christmas. Why not?" Why not? That that is a good question, I think. So like, that's that's the other thing, right? Like often we are thinking of this from the perspective of you know the West importing things from the East and being like, "Ah, oh, yes, the deep and secret wisdom of." green tea and its effects on health and how it can you know align your chakras and increase your uh, psychic capabilities and whatnot but then there's the other side like is there do you know of any cases of uh eastern cultures bringing things from the west and thinking that they are far more quote-unquote spiritually significant than they are of course there are plenty of examples i mean japan had a long history of it yeah i'm like wondering what's a particular case that you know of well, I know, I know that Japan, like, during its, um, let's to go more, like, historical with it, when Japan was closed off during the Sakako period, uh, yes, I said that right, um, they had, because only the Dutch could trade with Japan, yeah. and they traded through Deshima, but there was, quite popular was Dutch studies, uh, where mm -hmm. people would get books, uh, tomes, um, on various subjects from the Dutch, and then trade them around, and and like translate them into Japanese and write like things better, like uh, right. And that was often. That's more. That strikes me more as just like learning things from like books. That you know, like th this isn't like attributing spiritual power to it. It's like oh, but they were. This they is were... how gunpowder works. That, but that's that's the thing. It wasn't just about like gunpowder and okay. any technical stuff. It was also occult books. It was also religious books. It was also okay. novels and things like. It wasn't just a, like a purely technical process. It was, and especially if this was pre-Meiji Revolution, so they, they, this wasn't the period of time when they were trying to industrialize fast. This was a period of time yeah. when there was a subculture of weirdos who were really interested in Europe for some reason and would like gobble up everything they could get, but they could only get things from books that the Dutch would have um, bring with them. If you've ever looked at like um, the sort of... Uh, like there's books where J the Japanese will like do depictions of the people around the so, world. So wait, wait, wait! You you you're telling me that Dutch studies are like the fan subbed VHS tapes of anime? Yes. Uh, of Tokugawa Japan. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And you'll see it as well when you have right now with the um, the sort of uh, Wild West capitalism you have in China. People talk about how China likes to 
like copy the West, but that's mostly just a racist bullshit thing that the people have always said. But like when they do things like they'll make an entire replica of Paris or they'll make a replica of this thing and people wander around inside. To some extent, that is cultural appropriation. I mean, like, we do that to ourselves. It's called Las Vegas. Exactly, exactly. So this this phenomenon, it is not like the idea that it's mainly a Western phenomenon is yeah. is basically some. It's a it's a line of thought which I call like white supremacy with extra steps. Of course, how, we came up with all the good ideas first. Well, it's it's more the special snowflake element that yes. always pops up. Like for example. Like, based on what cultural appropriation is meant to be, so when you're an, when someone is taking something from a, someone from a dominant culture, someone from a dominant culture is taking it from a like an oppressed culture, and not and not um, doing the um, the. Requisites. I wouldn't call Chinese like you know mainstream Chinese culture an oppressed culture, but I understand what you get at. Well, that, that's that's the thing. That's the thing. That's what I'm talking about. Like people will be like, oh, like Kim Kardashian tried to like trademark kimono. That was a dumb move, and I agree that was a dumb move. But then people talk about as cultural appropriation for people to to wear like a kimono or yukata or all these things. And I'm just like, if there's any non-Western culture in the world that we can just unabashedly appropriate from, it's Japan. It's Imperial Japan. Like they were, and when, they were. Yeah, part of when the you club. talk to them, like when you talk to Japanese people, they're usually pretty chill with it too. Because like, yeah, like. Taking cool shit from other cultures isn't the bad thing. It's doing it without understanding, like, particular significance, like in the case of, like, certain Native American tribes, feather headdresses, that that's, sort of shit, right? That's true. But, like, it's really, like, um... Shit that, you know, like... It's inconsistent that, how... Yeah. Like, yeah. it really does seem to be a concentration on these really the superficial cultural outside elements of yeah. oppressing a culture while still the culture remains oppressed in, like material economic ways like oh great yeah. like they're no like they're no longer wearing the headdress at parties oh wait no they still are but they're getting shit yeah like they, but we still uh, remain fucked with yeah exactly like cultural appropriation is the like is the adding insult to injury of we have like murdered a ton of you already but ooh, that's a cool thing that you have. Let's 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 use it. And not really understand. Yeah, but it's it. it's an easy thing for people for uh, people to focus on as opposed to actual. Problems. Yeah, as opposed to actually like addressing the core problem, which is that you're killing them. Which is it, it just taking means the that you have like it's basically white people yelling at other white people on yeah. behalf of non-white people, um, and it's a waste of time and it's annoying and fuck you. I'll I'll appropriate what I want. They can come get me. Um, I've not actually appropriated anything. Well, I have probably, but no, I don't want. I want to. Like, it would be better to improve things for people in reality, in like how they can live their lives with agency, rather than being like. Well, oh. and then like the other side of this, right, is like uh, how this sort of shit can get instrumentalized into putting like a surface level left wing spin on like you know cultural preservationist and very sort of conservative politics oh yeah and that's how you end up share like you aren't allowed to criticize indians culture's caste system because you don't understand it yeah well i it's it's a complicated thing but i don't need to understand it that much it's not that hard a concept the caste system isn't particularly difficult. i could look into it more it's, i it's doubt it's going to improve my opinion of this yes. i'm not sure there's gonna is there gonna be is there a twist at the end of the caste system 
I don't know. Is it like, oh, actually, actually, it was a joke. We are all equal, but we're looking like that. No, it's the caste system. I don't like the caste system because low caste people get fucked with in material ways and in legal ways. Not so much anymore, but economic ways, social ways they get fucked with so and there, there there is definitely something to be said for how when britain came in they really fucked with a lot of that stuff and in certain senses reified the caste system in a way that india is still recovering from but that's a very different argument from yeah you don't understand this therefore you're not allowed to criticize our practices yeah okay so because the so the because the british were murderous imperialist dickheads um Therefore, everything that the they only way to fight back destroyed. against them was to also be murderous imperialist dickheads. Obviously, that's how this works. It is. It is entertaining. Sometimes I, I like to like harass people <laughs> by saying like, um, especially when they talk about, especially when it's people talking on behalf of the Japanese, uh, because uh, the Japanese are just like they had a they look. They were an imperial power. <laughs> they were one of the big. Boys. Well, not just that. Like, like they're like part of their imperial goals was to overwhelm and destroy some of the cultures that they were conquering. That is because they thought Japanese... That was one line of They were trying to, like, the regions of China that they had control of, they were trying to make more Japanese culturally. In um, Taiwan, that was the case because they wanted to turn it into a model colony. But the thing is, like, uh, Imperial Japan's Uh cultural policy was kind of schizophrenic. They they, they did Uh different things because they had different lines of thought operating at once there were some that like because i know in their rule over korea they at some times in some periods especially in the late like um in the war they would do things like they'd suddenly say okay everyone has to use japanese names now um when they hadn't before they they went back and forth on these issues like because some of the time they were like okay you are korean people but you are also good happy citizens of the japanese empire and then other times they were like, no, you must become Japanese. It's because there was d- internal debate. It was complex. It was a complex. Yeah, like it wasn't. They, there wasn't a unified policy. There was a bunch of different governors and suzerains, I believe is the term. Yeah, governor generals, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah that, and all of them had different ideas on how. One, all these colonies had different expressed goals. Yes. Some were, yeah, trying to be like, oh, you know, like Taiwan. See, we can improve their society by going. Others were much more naked. We are just extracting resources from them and don't really give a shit. And a lot of that was to the extent that the fact that the civilian government in Japan didn't have control over its own military. And so what the Japanese Imperial Army was doing in um, China a lot of the time wasn't necessarily what like Tokyo was asking them to do. Sometimes it was, but it was, it was a mess. Imperial Japan was a mess and... Basically, my opinion has always been that, like, the cult, the Japanese right to complain about cultural appropriation is lying at the bottom of the bottom of the sea of Japan with the Imperial Russian Navy. They joined the big leagues, so I, that means I can wear a kimono I if I want to. I, I wouldn't put it that way. I wouldn't put it that way. I wouldn't put it that way because it's a thing of like, one, it's not like like you're saying it's complex. Different people in Japan had vastly different opinions on what was happening in Japan's colonies. To, like America, like Australia, like Britain, like any other Western culture, you know, the U.S., to say it has a culture is, 
I mean, I, there's nothing you can say for that, but it's still pretty much any arguments based on a unified culture are by their very nature going to oversimplify things because a culture is just a um but aha, emergent aha. property of a collection of people you fall into my trap because this is one of the arguments that people use to like distinguish between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation because in cultural appreciation you have to ask questions about what does this mean in that culture what is the symbol like the symbolism what is this the, the relevance of this, what does it mean? What is that? And then you respect that, and that's fair, but also... I don't think it's even <laughs> what it means. It's more just respecting the witches of the individual you happen to be interacting with. That's just that's just common decency. <laughs> that's just Yes, but... Uh, well, it's decency. I wouldn't say it's common necessarily, but that's yeah, true. there you go. So, if, the, if, if people are arguing for don't be a dick to people of different cultures, then I'm all in for, I'm all in, I'm, well, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yes, let's, let's, let's push uh, more uh, of that. A, a lot of this stuff does boil down to, on the individual level, don't be a dick, but the problems come from that. For a long time, there's a lot of people being dicks in very specific ways that people still feel kind of sore over. And also, and that's all this is fair. exacerbated by, to a certain degree, communication problems that are inevitable because of the diversity of human language. Yes. And yes. those can be overcome, but it is difficult. It is difficult and it takes time. Well, this is the problem with the whole, um, like, sit down and listen thing. It's because that's not how communication works. You sit, you listen, no. you listen, and then you ask questions or you make comments. Yes. That's how you communicate. When you want to learn yes. from someone, you have to be an active, engaged person. Like, you can't just be, like, a, a receiver. If you really want to, like, talk to someone as an equal, you talk to them as an equal. You don't, like, put them on a pedestal. Um, and it's a weird sort of pedestal, which is actually below you, but you act like it's higher than you for the sake of, of your political point. No, you talk to, you talk I to people. I don't say it's a below like or above thing. It's an other thing. It's an othering. Right? It's a, you're othering this person. Yeah. Yes. And I don't like othering. I think othering is no. fucked up. And this is why I don't like, I think a lot of, a lot of the discourse about cultural appropriation is, is white supremacy with extra steps. Uh, Wait to press you with extra steps, or it's a way to justify a lot of arguments that amount to cultural purity and oh, advocating yeah. for that, but using kind of like an anti-imperialist gloss over it. Oh, and um, essentialism, which I also, which also yes. annoys me. Yeah, um, and that's what it comes down to is like talk to people, hear what you have to say, to have a back and forth, and talk to as many people as possible. Because one person might say one thing and be like, oh, I'm speaking as a member of this culture, this is how this works. And then another person that might be like, well, no, that's not how this is at all. They're an asshole, or they're stupid, and then they start arguing, and then we're back to the, the, the beauty of the diversity of the human experience. I, d I will say this, like, I don't know a lot about a lot of the cultures of the world, actually I do, but I, from my own point of view, I can only really speak as an Australian, as a white Australian. I feel that the white Australians who are the most, like, finicky and the most, um, uh, the biggest proponents of, like, a particular type of, like, a mainstream Australian culture and, like, very protective of it are dicks for the most part. And yeah. I assume that's relevant, I assume that's, that's probably true of most cultures. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, precisely. Fucking precisely. Uh, let's try to get back to this magic shit, right? Like, we're talking a lot about, you know, just talking to people and try to learn. Like, that's the core of it, try to learn, and that's kind of where exoteric mages are interesting. Because their magic comes from a refusal to learn. That's right? true. A That's true. Complete refusal to learn and just putting their assumptions and presumptions on to things from other groups of humanity that they don't understand and being like, oh, obviously it works like this. And then it turns out working like this, but works like that because of basically these guys are like magic that comes from the placebo effect it's a it's a magical placebo effect well it's a combination of placebo effect and that and exoticism and the mysticization and othering like the othering aspect of exoteric pages is very important because when that othering falls down the magic stops working like because if they understand how something is actually supposed to work it stops working they probably have to be the type of people that like go to get acupuncture, but actually have no idea how acupuncture is even said to work. It's just oh, it, it's it's in the it's in the it's in the, the metal somehow, or they just they've made it up in their head how it works. Um, but they don't know anything about meridians or anything about any of that sort of thing. That's that's the level of ignorance that you have to be of ignorant you have to be to be an exoteric mage. You have to it has to be very surface level of like ooh that looks mysterious or sounds mysterious. It must be mysterious. It must have powers. And that's why these guys can't really be called a school. Because, you know, the whole stated point of school, at least, is to bring understanding and to ward off ignorance. And I suppose the only real trick to learning this school would be learning techniques to keep yourself as ignorant as possible. While still learning about a lot of things on a surface level. You have to be actively... Not even learning, finding out about it. Yeah, like, I think probably a lot of exoteric mages don't even know they are them. Which is interesting. That's the thing, because it's something, exoteric mages is something that's likely, it's like, exoteric means it's understood, the understanding, the general public's understanding. So you must be, like, an exoteric mage has to have the mentality and the mindset of the most white bread version of whatever culture there is the most basic yeah. lowest common denominator opinion that you have to maintain that the lowest common denominator knowledge and as soon as something becomes more well known or prevalent and like well understood within said culture it's going to be useless for ex- exoteric majors because people know too much about it this is a really good paradox i really like this paradox and it's a way to bring in sort of the occult mainstream stuff in a way that gels very well with UA's vibe and cosmology. And it's actually very useful for if you were doing a spicy campaign set during the COVID years to have an exoteric sure. mage. <laughs> because there's been lots of nonsense. All is just during a COVID year thing. You could, these guys have been around for a long time, I think. I just that There's probably not much by way of like, you know continuity of knowledge because again the whole porn is about ignorance yeah like there's there's probably been people doing this sort of shit for for ages um i think probably like a lot of this comes from someone that just would happen to get a hold of them that's the, the complete pony that would happen to get a hold of a minor charge you know while they're in a foreign country or while after they like bought some to- quote unquote totem from like a street vendor or whatever yeah, and then, 
and then something happens that it seems to be related, and it could be how magic is spawned by um, cognitive, uh, what's the word for it? cognitive bias. You're like, you buy something, something good happens, you're like, oh, it must be magical. And that, if you're in the right mindset, if you're just cracked enough, that could lead to this. You're right, it's not a school. And it becomes a, a self-perpetuating thing, is it? Yeah. yeah, it's a practice of magic, not a school, I would say. And it follows similar structure to adept schools. You, there's ways to gain minor, significant, and major charges. There's yep. a blast style. So the blast style, I got some issues with. There's a taboo. Well, everything, needs, even everything like needs a taboo. I believe that that's how yep. magic works. Um, to like in a fundamental level, that the taboo is one of the things that is you cannot have any kind of magic without some kind of taboo. Unless you've got in, in, in supernatural identity, that's different. But any kind of like twisting of the universe it requires some kind of restriction the taboo for this one is really interesting because it's literally just suspension of disbelief the taboo is you must never know how it worked or shouldn't work you can't understand how this stuff is supposed to work you're just supposed to know that it does everything that can be explained with the placebo effect can be easily lost if someone explains what's well, a placebo it's like a joke Exactly. Magic and comedy have a lot of overlap. And this is what's good about the... Um, they include the example of uh, a tattoo with Chinese characters. Like, if you have Chinese character tattoo that you're getting magic power from, you'll stop working if you learn the true meaning of it. So if you are if you think you have a protective tattoo that says something, like, mysterious and ancient, but it actually says, like, chicken fried rice, if anyone convinces you or tells you that's chicken fried rice... And it will stop working. How old is chicken fried rice? That might be ancient. Not mysterious, but might be ancient. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they've been putting chicken and frying rice for a very long time. There you go. See? So don't even say there's an ancient wisdom in that. There's absolutely ancient wisdom in chicken fried rice. But you aren't supposed to know that. You're just like, oh, it's something profound. Like love. Though, you know, to be fair, like I can't blame someone for... Confusing love and eating chicken fried rice. I haven't made that mistake myself. It's all right. They're, they're, they're connected. They're closely connected. So, but yeah, like that's saying like, you, it's not that you just can't understand how this doesn't work for like, or shouldn't work on like a literal level. It's you aren't supposed to understand how in a broader belief system, it's supposed to work. What it even is, what its relevance yeah. is. Like, yeah. you have to make some shit up. Yeah, and that works for any kind of like religious item or trinket, which or or any cultural thing, any cultural item that it could be perceived in different ways. I'm reminded of how in archaeological digs, whenever there's something that they don't know the purpose of, they just write it off as for ritual purposes because they don't know what it is. Like, why did they build this? Why did they build this this hole here that doesn't seem to have any purpose, not connected to anything? Ritual purposes. It's the all pervasive. It's the all inclusive. Like, if anything cannot be obviously seen, it must be for ritual purposes, and that could be done for like all kinds of things. You're looking at this is how like um, when people are watching like Japanese commercials or seeing like weird Japanese stuff, and there's this mentality, especially in the West, because you see these things like, oh, Japan has all these weird things, weird gadgets, wacky gadgets in Japan, or wacky commercials in Japan. And the wackiness of them is emphasized by the fact that the what's in the commercial is referencing things that people in Japan know about. It's like um, old stories or particular characters 
or particular like tropes and cliches which are quite common and quite well understood not that wacky everyone knows about them but if you see them from an outsider point of view it just looks chaotic and weird like what is that giant raccoon thing why is it doing that and it also forgets like a lot of it comes down to an editing style that i think a lot of people aren't used to oh yeah it's very very quick cuts um and things like that so yeah it's a combination of these like commercials that are a like referencing things that people aren't necessarily going to get and b like using a slightly different editing style but also c some of them are designed to be weird they were meant to be weird we make weird ads in the west too that's it's for selling products you like <laughs> yeah say well like, imagine jackass imagine watching jackass without knowing english right you'd be fucking astounded and completely fucking confused. You'd think they'd probably be like, you're wondering if there's like some reason they're doing all this shit, right? It's like, no, it's just for the spectacle of it, right? It's just for the spectacle. And that's, that, that's the case know. with like any culture. I, I, I that, that's the case that with entertainment most, anywhere. I kind of feel that most people would quickly figure it out. I think like young idiots is a common universal trope of like why are they doing that because they're dumb okay but the elaborateness of that's some of true. the shit that those young idiots are doing that's true that's true i would say that like something like that because I'll, i would always think that jackass is something that's more akin to like mr bean and like everyone can understand it because it's so physical or like charlie I'm not chaplin so sure. i'm not so sure but you like yeah no, like that's the thing uh slapstick is a lot more universal than you know stuff like satire and and like you can think like if someone was watching like a show i i remember i remember hearing from a friend of mine um they were, we were watching tv and she this is years ago and she, there was um and the x-files came on like an ad for the x-files or something and and she, and she was like whoa and i'm just like why what, what's wrong and she's like wow Mulder's voice is so weird because it's not dubbed I'm used to his dubbed voice and I'm like because when things are translated like that often there's um a lot of mis meaning is missing and people yeah. will go on about how like translation is difficult and it's sometimes there's lots of things that uh, cannot be translated well or easily and that's true but it's also used as a fig leaf to cover up just sh like shitty translation or like very it's a hard business it's it's a hard business but it is also a racket because in yes. many parts of the world there was an issue in South Korea when it, I think it was the um, was it Endgame or yeah it was Infinity War and Infinity War when that came out um, there's a scene where Doctor Strange says something like um, we're in the end oh, no no it was Endgame because we're in the Endgame now but in um, the subtitles the Korean subtitles they just translated it as like, oh, we're fucked, or we're doomed, or something like that. <laughs> and so, but people, enough people noticed The that. Avengers 4, we're fucked. Yes. But enough, like, Koreans who are watching it noticed that and were like, what? What the fuck? And then there was, a like, the, the internet community did a deep dive on that movie. And also, they found, they found the translator and discovered that the same guy had been contracted to write the subtitles for, like, all these uh, Marvel movies. And then these the the, the 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 internet went on a like a uh, the Korean internet like started picking them all apart and discovered that this guy had just completely fucked up the translation of most of these movies. But people had enjoyed them because they're 
Like, you know, they're Marvel movies. It's mostly spectacle <laughs> anyway. But a lot of the meaning of what was going on and why was inevitably lost. And you're seeing that now in reverse with the debate over Squid Game because um, I watched it. I just watched it in Korean with Korean subtitles. I watched one episode, um, the first episode. I watched it first in Korean and then later I watched it again dubbed because someone else mm-hmm. was watching. And it's a completely different fucking... It's completely different. It's, it's Yeah, it's, like... I, like- are the characters the same even? I've always been interested about They're this. much... Because, like, I, I only know English. I only know English. I've never... A lot of the character is lost in them. It's just, like, these... Because they become all very American, which is understandable, but generically American. Not, not like, they've lost a lot of, like, the particularities of their character. Like, the main character in um, the original... This, he's very good at like voice acting. He's very emotional, um, very emotive in his speaking, and very whiny and very complainy. Um, but in a way that like fits his like he's a shitty character at first. He's just a, he's a fuck up. But when they you did the dubbing, it's just this like sort of generic Paul Ruddy type voice, and it it doesn't work. It it's, it it takes the sting out of his whole out of all of his lines, and I don't know. It was it, it it changed it. It's hard to quantify. Yeah, but it lost no, I get something. Like, local. I think the issue with translation fundamentally is that doing good translation is hard. Doing bad translation is pretty easy, and like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, people aren't really going to care. That, that's people, this is or, the thing because translation... it's not that they don't care; it's that they won't be able to tell the difference a lot of the time. Yeah, they don't know. They literally don't know. That's, that's it's the ignorance, the veil of ignorance, because a yeah. lot of the times it's um, the like. Of course, there are some things that are going to be like easy to translate because it's like one to one, just like like it's it's a it's a very low context statement. But whenever there's a high context statement or a reference or like a a turn of phrase or like a poetic twist to something, that's hard. And so you'll but a lot of the time they just like paper over it, and sometimes that's like unavoidable but it's always much better if they make they at least try there is the other side of this let's acknowledge that where you just translate extremely literally and that means the audience you're exporting to has no idea what the fuck they're talking about because it's a turn of phrase that they are completely unfamiliar with yes yes and so those sort of cases the it's the onus is on the translator to try to find some kind of equivalent or some way to like get the meaning and the nuance across in a way that the audience will understand it their language and sometimes that's impossible but it's sometimes like people will say it's impossible when it's actually possible but it needs a lot of work well in that case should you replace it with a similar turn of phrase in the culture you're exporting to but then you need to then you might lose about it yeah there's not a fit of answer either and when you're doing translated, like sometimes you'll be like, you'll be able to get through like pages and pages and it's fine. And then there'll be one sentence. It's like, oh, how do I do this? This one sentence is going to take me all day to figure out all week. And, it's, and that's the nature of the beast. And when they're pumping out movies. Um, oh, yeah. This, this is the advantage. Fast. This is the advantage. So, so long that with um, that the uh, with animes, they had with uh, fan subs being superior to the official subs. Because the fans, and that wasn't always true, because sometimes fan subs would have like this trans, like it'd be, it would be amateur job, but it would be a collective effort that would be, it'd be like Wikipedia sort of thing. While the company would just be like, let's do something that appeals to the, the majority of people and it's good enough. 
and I am generally I would prefer a fan sub version of things because I feel that like a a, a a team of like interested amateurs who are doing it for for clout or because they can sometimes do a better job than people who do it like one guy doing it for cash which is a very anti-capitalist statement I know that's how it is sometimes that's like th those fan subs are able to be more literally translated because they know that their audience is going to be people that are more familiar with the they're not lowest with like those cultures and terminology yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah i don't like want to say lowest common denominator it's just you know enthusiasts are gonna have more of that base level knowledge sure. than someone that's just but they'll They'll do things like they'll put all the like if there's like some cultural reference they'll like have like that quick little paragraph of explanation that appears at the top of the and screen. i appreciate that i appreciate that when there's a little bit of annotation ideally if you can like turn it on or off as its own separate thing like yeah that's in like you can there's multiple ways to do this there's not one right answer which is part of why translation's so hard yes um, and it's also difficult when like a lot of the reason why people who are not used to like like watching things with subtitles they'll be like i don't want to i don't want to read it if I, I don't want to watch tv to read and shit like that well i'll be more of the opposite side where i'll be like give me footnotes damn it <laughs> i want the footnotes yeah you can't see me I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite the dismissive jerking off motion with my hand right now as you would you yeah no yeah i agree like like subtitles take me out of something way less than like watching something dubbed over does Oh, I hate dubbing, but unless it's um, unless it's funny, dubbing can be done well, but it's honestly even harder to do well than just a good subtitle translation. So there's even fewer good cases of it. Well, that's how I sort of felt with like when I was watching Squid Game because they did it in a way they were very canny in how they did the dubbing that the words that the, the dubber was saying almost seemed to match like the uh, the um, mouth movements of the actor and i think they did that deliberately to try to like make it as um seamless as possible and i don't like, really get that as much i don't get why they bother because it's like those moments when it doesn't work are just going to stand out all the more just like lean into the artifice of it and yeah yeah, yeah just lean into the artifice because you're never going to be perfect anyway so be more explicit instead i would agree with that i would agree with that um but it did it did in the end like netflix would look at the viewing numbers and say oh you're wrong frank uh because we know that netflix listens along with alex Abel. but i don't know i would agree I think oh, yeah and there, there's always that question of art of like some art just has more of like a more initial investment needed to really get into it than others and i think back to my experiences with like live action dubbing and i think of like the old godzilla movies i watched growing up and that's that's a very that's a completely different sort of ball game yes say um, you will we've improved a lot since those days <laughs> but now they those days seem fun and good i like that. well yeah now it's camp now it's camp and cheesy and then that's yeah. then that, that's his own appeal um if, you, if it's like a if it's an animation i don't care that much about like dubbing i'm not i don't i don't insist upon the subs unless it's like I just find a lot of dub VAs grading. Like, that's what it comes down to. That is true. That is true. And it's probably true for, like, you know, there's still cartoons, and there's people who just specialize in having grading voices. And those in animation industries everywhere, but because I don't understand the language, I don't care as much. What was, what was that one, um, that one terrible, um, there was some, 
Japanese horror anime that was really ghost stories. That's it. That's it. And it was, uh, it was yeah. Uh, the dubbing was amazing. The dub is great because they just didn't give a shit and just did whatever they wanted with it and basically turned it into a comedy show. There was yeah. a, no there ghost was stories. A um, well, this sometimes happens, and this is like putting the lie into like cultural appropriation being bad because sometimes fucking things up does improve it or like changes it. Because there was a, a controversy over a um, oh, what is it, the Korean novel that was translated into English, and then in the UK it won a bunch of awards, and then they discovered that it was just a completely different novel. <laughs> Like it was a bad yeah. novel, but then I, and so people in Korea. Well, were was it a bad novel that won all those awards? Like uh, it may have been a very good novel that happened to be based off of that other good novel. Okay, it was called *The Vegetarian* by Hong Kong. Um, so it won the world's biggest translation award until they discovered that it was not actually the same. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Bad <laughs> uh, book. Yeah, it won it was, <laughs> Awarded to its translator Han Ka Hong Kong and its translator and its, uh, its author Hong Kong and its translator Deborah Smith, and they, they discovered that it was just a completely different book. But now, but then people in Korea read it and they were like, "Actually, this book by Deborah isn't bad. We like this book too." And I've heard it was tra- it was ended up being back translated into Korean because they're like, "Oh, this is this is this is alright too." Oh, we're angry, but we're less angry. So it was so good, it was just not accurate. Well, and that's interesting, too, because, like... And you see that sort of thing leveraged intentionally, like, Borges, when he was getting a lot of his stuff translated into English. Like, and even though he knew English very well, he still had a translator help him out. A lot of those stories aren't very accurate to the original stories in Spanish, and Borges did that knowingly and intentionally, because he wanted to... Kind of broaden the appeal of his writing for a different audience. That makes sense. I mean, that's like how, um, yeah, they'll change. That's how Asterix. Did you ever read Asterix? Uh, I have read Asterix. some of Asterix, but never like gone through it all the way. Like I have ten ten. Um, okay, the thing about like you know, in Asterix, they have all like this ridiculous punny names, like Getafix and like Final Statistics and all that. Like every time, it's it, these are different names in each country because. Like, because Asterix in French originally relied a lot on puns, both in the jokes and the names and things, so they would have to, like, like, like start from scratch every time for a new language. And because it was popular all over Europe, they'd have to, like, get goofy names. Oh, like, God. Polish, yeah. goofy names for Finnish. And they did a very good job, from what I've heard. Good on the... I mean, like, say, well, that sounds like a fun job. Just, all right, we need to come up with pun names for Gauls and Goths. Yes. In, yes. like, ten different languages. It's a very um, niche sort of industry, but a valuable one. So so I, I want to get to the, like, charging th- structure, because there's two components to this. Um, again, we don't want to... What were you calling it again? That school a tradition? A practice, I feel. Practice, practice. Um, this practice of magic, because um, that... that Barrier of ignorance and reveling in that ignorance is a big part of the school. But there's another component which I think is really interesting, which you see in the charging structure is just... Well, let's start with how you generate a minor charge, which is you buy any exoteric product, like, you know, mind-clearing candles or healing incense or a health aura stone. And, you know, it doesn't really matter the cost. It just needs to look foreign or mystical enough for you to think they'll work. You know, this is... 
crystals, crystal sort of shit, right? Yeah. And you generate a significant charge by buying a product or service that is expensive and has some mystical background to it. That's saying these don't need to be foreign. You just need to not actually understand what this does. It could be like New Agey instead. Yeah, um, it, it could be New Agey. Which, admittedly, New Age stuff started as, you know, uh, importing foreign religious traditions, and by this point has become so far removed from that, that's kind of its own thing. I mean, yeah, it, it is the pra- it's the practice of, like, when a religion, a religious tradition or cultural tradition goes from one culture to another, it, it transforms. It's like how Buddhism, when it hit China, it transformed. Buddhism in Thailand transformed. Buddhism in Japan transformed. And this idea of like, yes, we like the New Age tradition being like basically like ripped off um, like Asian religious traditions is absolutely true. But it's also not just that because no, like if you look at like the history of the thought within the New Age movement, there was a lot of innovation as well. There was a lot of new stuff and a lot of stuff did wash back. You know, it's not this. It's not just a one way street here. Like New Age bullshit washes back to where it allegedly came from and people get into it yeah it's 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 part of the cultural conversation it's it's part of the the uh eclectic and innovative nature of humanity i'm reminded vaguely of uh this story i heard once about um uh this this guy i was talking to who was american professor but um he took a bunch of like students from china to the u.s um on like a student exchange thing and in the bus, like going from the airport, they were looking around, like, "Oh, America, America! Oh, wow, they have McDonald's here too." Beautiful, excellent. I love that. So, okay, back to significant charge. So, you buy a product or service that's expensive and has some sort of mystical background to it. Often, something permanent too helps. So, like a tattoo that the guy at the parlor said means peace, or an expensive necklace, good energies. You know, just putting down a bunch of money on this. And that's the interesting other part of this practice of magic is it's fundamentally coached in consumption. Yes. You get charges by buying shit. It's cultural commodification, if anything. Yes. Not. It's not just about misunderstanding culture. It's about misunderstanding cultures that are being commodified. Which is very, very interesting. There's a... And it, it kind of posits that... And I think we talked about this a bit before, that selling items of power to the ignorant is in and of itself a very powerful act. Oh, yeah. And it's not just... And this is why I like the idea of cultural commodification a lot more than cultural appropriation, because cultural appropriation comes with all these, like essentialist fucking racist like hidden racist culturalist nonsense nonsense but commodification of cultural items happens all the time everywhere and it's not just from one culture to like another foreign culture it's also subcultures it's also the commodification of like punk and goth at hot topic it's it's all these things it's like things that were mysterious and or not mysterious or like um non-mainstream not mainstream like being absorbed into the mainstream culture through capitalism. That's a more interesting discussion. It's sanding the edges off of something that has a lot of complexity to then be able to sell it to the widest number of people possible. And that is very appropriate. That's very 
relevant to this school of magic. But then the interesting thing, like, and you, you saw a lot of critiques about that stuff in the past, but the counter-critique of that is that, unfortunately, a lot of indigenous people have to do this sort of thing to survive. Yeah, they do. And that's unfortunate because they don't have any fucking money. So maybe we should figure out that problem. Like, I agree. They need, but... they need some opportunities to work at agency. If they're being stuck selling the 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 only thing they could do is to sell like like commodified versions of their cultural artifacts and everyone says, Oh, that's sad that they have to like like debase their culture like that and i'm like no it's more sad that this is the only thing that they can do to survive that is the larger problem i have i well and that like that's the thing about like a lot of the cultural appropriation shit and a lot of kind of this current manifestation of um culture war is a lot of it kind of takes living under capitalism and the certain level of exploitation is a given is like all right we live in a fallen world what sort of things can we fix? Every culture is going to inevitably end up commodified. We can't critique people based on that because we're going to be harming a lot of indigenous people in the process. Harming a lot of people. I don't want to say fucking indigenous people. I, I honestly kind of hate that term because it's, it's sort of a nothing word. Everyone's fucking indigenous to somewhere. But we know what you mean. We know what you mean yeah. when you say indigenous people. It means yeah. people who's indigenous to a place but then got it stolen by someone else complain about cultural commodification yes it can turn into oh just kind of victim blaming the solution to that isn't just kind of to nullify and downplay the core issue or reframe it it's hey the core problem here is that people are having to this is like things that are very personally valuable to them to survive to an element it's about power because yes. no, when cultures get like, there's this whole idea of like protecting cultures um, stuff, but you only ever do that if you're kind of beleaguered. If you get to a certain level of like economic and political power, you stop worrying about that and start selling it. Like the history of um, K-pop is a good example. How the the government in South Korea and the various corporations colluded to push k-pop for years before it took off in the, in the west for years it was a long-term project of growing soft power you can see it in how china does things um even other countries like the uae is starting to do it a bit um when you get to a certain level you start because you want them you want other people to buy your shit and if you're not worried about being wiped out like existentially speaking on a cultural level then instead you're like you're gonna be you're gonna be trying to sell yourself to the rest of the world or push yourself as much as possible yeah yeah it's never going to be like the the way it actually is like um what is if if you had to think oh what do what does an australian throw on the barbie shrimp aha uh -huh. do australians call shrimp shrimp i no I guess they we don't. Generally say, do they we generally say prawns. We say oh, prawns. Okay. Um, but because it was an ad for the US market, we said throw a shrimp, shrimp on the barbie. So everyone thinks Australian. Australians like to throw a shrimp on the barbie. Um, but we don't say shrimp unless... Well, some people do. I do sometimes because I lived overseas. And sometimes I'm like, the little ones are more like shrimp. The big ones are prawns. But that's just me. And Foster's beer. The Foster's is And Australian the cultural... Beer. We don't the... think Foster's. 
We, the the Australian cultural tradition of throwing prawns on the Barbie is a very important one. Wait, we don't. I don't think I've ever seen anyone. Do, well, maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's usually, it's usually. Well, yeah, like you don't sausages. fucking barbecue shrimp or prawns. This is the problem. This the is the problem. It's like fry the Barbie. The barbecue is such an important part of Australian culture. But out of all the cultures of the world that I've seen that have a barbecue culture, Australia's is the least inspired. Like, I'm like, no, I'd rather have Brazilian barbecue or Argentinian barbecue or Southern US barbecue or Korean barbecue. These are all good barbecues. Even South African barbecue. These are all good barbecues. In Australia, we just throw sausages on the barbecue and like they turn black on the outside and we put them in bread and put tomato sauce on them because we don't say ketchup. We say tomato sauce for some reason. All right. So forest generating a major charge. Um, for this, you, like, complete a symbolic peregrination. peregrination. Culminating in a place of mystical significance, you know, so, like, a a pilgrimage. Pilgrimage yeah. is... But and the tricky thing with this is that if you're completing an entire, you know, pilgrimage, it's going to be pretty hard not to acquire a certain level of cultural understanding on the way. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's yeah. not it's impossible. It's like, I'm going to go on Hajj. While learning as little about Islam as possible. <laughs> yeah. And drinking and eating. And eating yes. And eating pork yes. crackling on the way. So that's kind of interesting duality of esoteric mages. It's, it's about putting yourself in proximity to these other cultures while remaining ignorant, as, as ignorant as you can. And that is kind of challenging. That's actually pretty fucking hard. It's, it's possible... But you need a lot of preparation. And you need to go out of your way, which is why it's a magical practice. The more money you have, the easier it would be. Because if you were to go on one of those sort of like tours, those like um, travel tours, like they have in the UK, where it's a whole bus full of Brits in Spain. Like Brits in Spain, especially in Ibiza or whatever, they have this tendency of like being very like not knowing shit about where where they are. And this is the same with like... um, Japanese, Korean, and Chinese. Well, yeah, but then you're going to be hearing people like, oh, I've been to Spain three times. Actually, how it works like is this. And you have the tour guide being, you know, someone eventually is going to ask a question. They're like, oh, what's the cultural significance of this? And the tour guide is going to be like, well, yada, 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 yada. And then, bam, there goes your ability to get charges. You understand what it actually means now. You just, like, close your eyes and think of England. (laughs) You're going to think you're such a fucking dick. Just start humming God Save the Queen very loudly. Uh, what else do we want to cover this? Do we want to cover my... Because it's interesting because there's not spells here. It's just, you know, artifacts and rituals. And not rituals in the literal sense or artifacts in the literal sense. Like, both those are things that have actual mechanical significance in the UA system. These are artifacts and rituals of a more, like, popular culture sense just for a popular culture that you aren't familiar with. Yeah. They're, they're not necessarily leftovers from the previous universe. They're not rituals in the same sense. They are, like, weaponized misinterpretation. Misinterpretation, like, because it is part of your, like... You could do, go through a completely accurate list of ritual steps. You just can't know what they're for. That is true. That is true. Um, I would say that's probably not part of this. I think that this sort of thing is more... Yeah, actually, no, I'm not sure. You might be right that there is... You could go through a whole, a whole shebang of ritual movements. Um, a peregrination is a ritual! A pilgrimage is a ritual. 
That is a good point. That is a good point. And they also mention services. It's not just products and, you know, you can buy ritual services. Uh, now I, I like the idea of, um, like, an alternative way of getting a major charge is to do something like a big ritual but not knowing why. Like, yeah. having heard that, like, just heard something about how, like, a certain Japanese Buddhist monks and then, like, they would be, they would be walled up and then they they would just like meditate themselves to death and become mummies behind the wall and like trying to do that to get a major charge not knowing why they're doing it or how they do it just be like oh i'll just need to be walled up and meditate a lot and i will get a major charge wait it, oh i love edgar Allan poe you can get charges by reenacting that story great that 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 could be it that could be it that, that's the misinterpretation like they're seeing yeah. something from another culture and like just interpreting it according to something they know from their culture and it becomes complete nonsense and then acting well, it out in an elaborate way. And an interesting thing about this is the way the spell school, the, um, the um, spell practice works is that because the shit ends up actually working magically just for the wrong reason, it just perpetuates the ignorance. I wonder if something like being crucified like could work, but if you're from a culture that doesn't know anything about Jesus at all, um, sure. that's, yeah. that's a hard one to find. Or something along those lines, something to that. Well, like there's sacrifice. that, I mean, I could never see that, like, fuck, there's that Korean, weird Korean Christian sect that wears like the bullet crowns and shit. Yep, yep, yep. That's, that's a great American sect. <laughs> I don't know if that exists. That doesn't, I'm not sure how, how, there's a lot of Korean weird religious yeah. traditions i think that particular one is a is a u.s phenomenon no i, I think, think it started like a, in Co south korea but it's oh no that's a, that's a Mooney offshoot isn't it that's yeah it's offshoot, offshoot the moonies yes. exactly yeah but it's a it's a yeah, yeah yeah because yes yes i don't think they're wearing many bullet crowns in south korea though it's hard to get bullets. yeah but no, harder no. well like when you think about it like crucifixion as a ritual act is really weird and grim it's like taking iron maiden and being like this is going to be the symbol of my religion i can see that it's a literal torture slash execution device. I'm imagining some like post-apocalyptic world where there's a religion where people wear little 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 um, electric chairs instead. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder what else you could do to get a major effect other than the pilgrimage is good, but there should be other things that are also. Yeah, I, I think any long and complex ritual that does involve immersing yourself in the culture. Is a big but thing, in a, right? in a way that it's, it's immersing yourself in your interpretation of the culture, which it's not necessarily. Or like well, no, like you need to. I think it's important to be in proximity to people that are actually members of this culture, because that's where the you know quote unquote risk reward aspect comes from. Yeah, it's putting yourself into proximity, actively putting yourself into proximity to these people, and then blatantly misinterpreting their practices in front of them. And then just continuing along anyway. Isn't with um, peyote, there's like meant to be a good peyote and a bad peyote? I think I've heard like, that, but I don't, like, I don't, yeah, I don't know about that shit. Like, I, I don't want to make any statements because I don't fucking know. Well, that's good. That means you just take whatever and it yeah. should work. Yeah. It should work. If It's like literally if they sell you like something else that's not peyote at all, but it doesn't matter because you are ignorant. Um, the guy selling it to you is probably better if he's not even Native American. He's... He's Mexican, and he pretends to be Native American to sell you some something. Sell you um, well that in and of itself, Native American versus Mexican. That's not very clear cut, but yeah, I get what you mean. He's Filipino then. He's yeah, Filipino, perfect. and then he sells you some um, spice. 
that what you call it in the US? Like the artificial like uh, marijuana stuff? What's it called? Yeah, I think I, I, artificial THC. I don't know. I've actually never. Yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar. I was like, what? You, uh, is this Filipino guy helping you do fast and light travel? What the fuck's going on? I'm thinking like this Filipino guy is giving you synthetic cannabinoids and telling you that it's it's uh, peyote and you go out into the middle of the desert, like not anywhere, <laughs> like in a, in not, not in a mystical place at all, but you think it is. And that should give you at least a sig. That's worth yeah. at least a sig. Yeah. I mean, another thing, a pilgrimage takes months. Like, so, yeah, it makes sense. That'd be a major charge. It's putting yourself wonder, in proximity to this culture for months and then still not understanding it at the end. One idea for a cabal would be like having a, a cult, not a cult, but a group that's formed around an exoteric mage who are basically just a bunch of people who are pretending to be from these cultures, or they are from these cultures, but are just constantly lying to this guy. They're all like mundane, but, and they're all lying to this guy just so he can get more charges. Actually, no, you could you could like do a step up. You could make it into you could make the uh, the exoteric mage be someone like a Gwyneth Paltrow type figure. So like it's a cult where everyone knows that the cult leader is full of shit. But the only one who doesn't know is the cult leader themselves. So everyone is pretending because they know if they keep pretending and keep feeding this cult leader lies, then he or she is going to keep having magical powers. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff you can do with this. One thing that I, I do have a concern with is that it does seem to be leaning more on the, the fact that it says that most of the random magic is related to healing and health because it's linked to, you know, like the sort of like remedies that you'll see online or like 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 bullshit remedies and stuff. And so it leans into the, the placebo effect, but I think it should also explore the aspects of the nocebo effect when people think something's bad for them um, and it makes them bad. It's like how people um, feel sick, like they'll feel bloated after eating Chinese food because they, they'll blame it on the MSG. But if they have MSG in like Doritos or any other form, they they don't have that effect. Yeah, this should definitely they... work for curses. Though I will say that it is less common to see people picking this sort of stuff up with the intent to curse people, you know, right? I think it would be interesting if they were like like straight up like racist curses like this straight up racist curses and they only work on racists because they believe it not necessarily racist but like um people who are very culturally ignorant and like make assumptions about things um and just believe like for example i'm thinking of when i was doing research on the Coatesville episode there was a bunch of articles in the in the newspaper from like 10 years ago about like oh this is a, a satanic sect has been found like they, they raided this house and they found evidence of a satanic cult, but and they found like bones and things. And it turned out to be like they weren't. No, it was just um, well, they, 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 the articles all disappeared, so I had to do like a deeper dig to find out what was going on. And according to like other internet sources, basically it was just like a Caribbean family, a Caribbean family who liked who did like the boiled like goat's head soup, and so mm. they had like the bones around, yeah. and they had a whole bunch of like their like cultural items that weren't actually they weren't a cult they well yeah that's the funny thing about ritual a lot of ritual practice it's kind of hard to tell the difference between it and just cooking or sex yes right yes yes especially when there's like there's there's rituals that are do involve cooking uh yeah. like spirit sex, cooking yeah. and things like that yeah and sex of course the sex is everywhere so man 
Um, well, yeah, but like, my, like ritual sex versus non-ritual sex, often hard to tell the difference. Same thing with ritual cooking versus non-ritual cooking, especially the after effects, right? Well, this is the thing. Like often with like how curses and things worked historically is because like the the victim would believe it and that would cause the nocebo effect to kick in. But with exoteric mages, the victim doesn't have to believe it. Only the caster has to believe it and doesn't have, has to not understand how curses are meant to work in the actual traditions, just be making stuff up. This stuff tells well into the Blast style, which is the one thing about this ramp that I'm not really into, which is that the way Blast worked for this is that supernatural events start occurring around the exoteric mage, you know, wounds healing, minds becoming clear. Yeah. That sort of thing. But you don't get to choose the target, and it just happens randomly. My two issues with this are one mechanically it doesn't give you any doesn't give you like a table or anything how is the gm are you supposed to figure out what the random effect is and two it just that doesn't make a whole lot of sense i don't think this i don't think I this think really it, needs a blast style honestly you know i think it you, should be it, should, it could be if you're gonna have a blast style make it like make it like curse form like tie it in with well yeah like you, stuff, but yeah. i'd say that's under the purview of the rituals and artifacts you're yes. already getting Yes, exactly. I agree. So instead of a blast style, I would just remove this blast style entirely and just say it depends on what you do and what you believe. But this this element of like things happening, like randomly happening around them, if you were going to use that, that would be something that might happen if um, maybe because it's a practice and not a school and it's not as codified, like there is more threat of unconscious random magic happening, yeah. like someone holding a, like someone so, who's having a, a special order for too long. Yeah. And shit yeah, starts yeah. happening. Like maybe this style, this style, if you've got too many charges and you haven't used them, or it could just happen randomly if you're unlucky. Like that could even be like written into like um like into the school into the into the um the identity that for example if you try to cast and you get a fail, usually that doesn't spend the charges. But maybe if you get like a matched fail, um nothing happens. But then that particular however many charges, they, that's just going to cause some random magic at the GM's uh, discretion later in the session. Yeah, no, you need a table for that sort of shit. Otherwise, just the GM... When it's something the GM has to come up to, that feels... One, as a GM, like, I have nothing to go off of. I just need to come up with something on the spot. Two, it often feels unfair for the players because it's just the GM arbitrarily deciding to help or fuck over the other person with some random magical manifestation, right? Well, it depends on what you're trying to do. Like, if you're trying to heal someone, it didn't work. But then, so at like some point, the GM just say, "Oh well, something's healed. Like something is healed yeah. later." Um, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the. I do think it has to be like the GM has to decide, as opposed to a table, because yeah. it's not like a special order. It's 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 you've tried to do something and it hasn't hit this particular person, but like that has the supernatural effect is going to hit someone. Then that's not really a blast. A blast, I think, is by definition targeted. Yes, this is. I, I, I'm moving away. I'm I'm, I'm removing yeah, blast yeah. style from this. And yeah. making it just another effect that this happens sure, has sure, sure, sure. because the school isn't codified in the same way. And it, it, because yeah. its practice isn't codified into a school. Yeah, no, I, I've heard of a lot of uh, practices, you know, again, less codified adept schools kind of having this sort of magic runoff. It would be annoying a little bit, but I think a lot of, like, depends on your player. Because I know, yeah. for me, if it, it's written in the rules that's like this, and if I know going in that if I roll a matchstick failure... It's gonna cause that effect. I'm not gonna be angry when it happens. I'll be like, "Oh no, who have I healed?" It's it's I I 
I don't mind having that element of agency taken away if it's it's ahead of time and I know it's happening. I know it's a risk. So I think that, that could be a fun... It's not an agency thing. It's more of just a unfairness thing, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, but if you know that going in, yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah, you know when that, it like, becomes a... Me doing this becomes a license for the GM to fuck with me sort of button, right? That is what is done in a lot of things with matched failures and yeah, failures yeah, yeah. and things. I mean, that is... The, yes, it is the license. It's all to ultimately up to interpretation to a certain degree. It's it's having the right amount of interpretation, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's hard to, like, write into the rules because for me as a player, like, I if I've kind of cast a spell and uh, it doesn't work, I do like the fact that most of the time I don't lose the charges, I just... Uh, but, like, I like it when things go wrong. <laughs> And I think it's fun. And having it be something that happens with, like, non-codified schools, I think, is, is fair enough. You know? Well, yeah, seeing from the GM end of things, it's also like, I don't like having to come up with that shit on the spot. I, I like fumble tables and whatnot, because it's mm-hmm. like... It, yeah. I always feel bad. Like, I just feel... I feel mean coming up with something really... Cr- like, you know, there'll be moments like, okay, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And, like, part, part of what I've just learned is, like, all right... Sometimes I really can't think it's just a success or failure. I can't really think of a way that you especially succeed or especially fail. Fair enough. And just being fine with that. A crit fail doesn't need to be an instant punch yourself in the dick button. It doesn't have to be. It depends on the context. It can just be, yeah, you don't succeed on that. But some people do like that. Some people do. (laughs) It depends on the context, too. It depends on the context, too. Like, for example, the Chinese peace tattoo is given as an example. Um, your character can flip-flop any role related to stopping conflicts. No repeats, though. Um, that could be... It could flip-flop the other way. Or it could... Someone else... It could just hit, go and hit someone else. Like, you know, a, a conflict. Like, I don't think but that's bad. not really it's what's deal. given here. What's given here is just random shit happens around you sometimes. It's not, like, yeah, ironic It, it doesn't work way. as a blast. It, it, as a blast style, it doesn't work. I no, always say yeah. no. That's silly. Uh, other than that one little nitpick, I really like this. Once you have a really good paradox, everything else is just kind of a question of thinking about it for a while in my experience. And this has a very good paradox. One thing that's weird, though, is the thing about the major charges, because you're doing a symbolic progression and making it like a big ritual instead is good, but it does lose something from the aspect of commodification actually it's a buying yeah. a commodity like buying your way into yeah. mysticism that you get with the miner and the sig because you're using money to purchase a product and then you're ascribing magical powers to it and it works and all your and for a sig it's an expensive product or service and you're ascribing mystical background to it and mystical powers to it um but the other one is the last one is a, like a peregration it, it doesn't have the yeah, I, think I agree. You pay. I think you should have to pay. I don't think you should necessarily have to pay, but it should still cost you something. In this case, it'd be time and risk, right? It'd be going on this pilgrimage, knowing that going on this pilgrimage, doing this huge months-long ritual, knowing that in the process you're probably going to learn something, and that's going to just sap all the mojo from this instantly. Yeah. So it's not about fiscal cost necessarily. Time cost is the key component of that, I'd say. On a ritual, on like a pilgrimage, you're probably going to be spending a good amount of money. Like if, if someone was like a CEO of a company, um, like a small company, let's say, and they were a es- uh, exoteric mage 
and they ended up like spending a whole bunch of the company's money and like bringing the company to the brink of ruin just so they could reorganize it to uh, fit the feng shui like, like oh, yeah. okay all this all this shit is like the, the feng shui is all wrong we have to like redo this entire warehouse that might be made to charge worthy if they destroy their own company yeah i could see that working i could definitely see that working and that would be a fun that would be a fun um target like if you know that there's an exoteric mage and they're gonna get a major charge start bombarding him with research papers of the shit that he's he has yes. like totally well, it would just easily de delete it it would be a matter of like how do we teach him enough about feng shui against his will that yeah. his that this won't work and he won't get a major charge that's a, a very interesting question too that i like a lot is how, how do you teach someone something without their consent that that's fun though that's fun yeah <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's a question that's a good question that, and no that what the, what that is right there is a milestone that's a milestone yes definitely a milestone check out exoteric mages this is a very interesting little uh article on a natural phenomena one of the more interesting schools they got up there I like these guys a lot. There's, I keep coming back to it. There's a very solid paradox here that you can draw a lot from. Uh, playing one of these guys would definitely be interesting. Uh, going up against these guys would be interesting. <sighs> Anything else you want to add on to this, Storms, before you, we uh, close out for the, today's episode? Um, well, we should mention that this was written by Berserk X. Yes. I Berserk feel bad we X, didn't mention that. Number 33. Number 30, Berserk X, number 33. And this is the only post he made. Yes. Ooh, that's interesting. But right up at the top here, we have Ted Pro giving his opinions on all this. Yes, and uh, an insect king who I know listens. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. This is a very solid little school, and we're looking forward to covering some more natural phenomena stuff in the future. And on that note, I think we're going to let you go. For Now drink this poop water. Drink it. it. It's from a monk. Like, does the water help me poop, or is it, is it from poop? If you knew, it wouldn't work. want to know what was disease what is disease because it seemed to be misinterpreted everyone is talking about 
departmentalizing or individualizing disease. When you have diabetes, it's different from having leukemia. When you have sickle cell anemia, most sin is not like leukemia. They're different. When they are not, they've never been different. They're coming from the same source. The mucous membrane of our biological structure has been compromised, meaning that the mucous membrane has been broken.